the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. This is a special edition of The Advocate now that we're in the corona pandemic and most of the country is standing down. And we've been talking about the corona pandemic here on The Advocate for a number of weeks now because it has been a problem for a number of weeks. But uh, there are other things going on and other things we should be aware of uh, that are always with us. And one of the things we want to recognize tonight is the fact that the month of April is National Autism Month. Because there are people out there with autism. It's a problem and a condition that people have had. And it's not the end of the world for many people. Uh, Autism is a condition that people are at risk at. And I know when children are born and they're diagnosed with autism, that it sometimes has a crushing effect on a family. But there's not the end of the world uh, happening at that point. There are many, many good things that can still happen. And we're going to talk about a success story by talking to a person who is autistic and very successful, Mr. David Petrovic. Uh, David, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, You allowing me to be here. Thank you. And where are you calling from tonight? I am calling from my home in Mentor, Ohio. So you're a northern Ohioer, so you're probably hunkered down like the rest of us are with the coronavirus uh, pandemic thing going on. But um, as I mentioned, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself because you are a person who has been diagnosed with autism, correct? Yes, correct. So um, I was born uh, the youngest of three boys uh, to uh, two loving and supportive parents. And I was first diagnosed, uh, started showing signs around 15 months, but I uh, got an official diagnosis at age three. Uh, what started out as a diagnosis of pervasive de- developmental disorder eventually uh, uh, kind of segued into high-functioning autism in like in my ch- early childhood years, like primary school years, but then eventually I was able to get a solidified diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome, and so and but now called autism spectrum disorder as of late. So yeah, um, I kind of interchange between Asperger's and autism. And for those not really familiar with what autism is or how it affects people, um, you know, it's a spectrum. So. It, it, it's it's my belief that there's a stereotype going on about autism, uh-huh. you know. But uh, but again, it's a spectrum. So different people have different strengths, have different weaknesses, function at different capabilities, and and you know. But the main thing is that you know autism involves social and communication differences, you know. You know, different routines, you know, repetitive behaviors, and, you know, sensory differences like either too little or too loud, noise or bright lights or sensations. 
you know, so it just goes to show that, you know, there's the there's the phrase, you meet one person with autism, congratulations, you meet one, you met one person with autism, because you put me, as a young man who has autism, you put me in a room with nine other individuals, and you'll see you'll see the differences in terms of our personalities, our functionality, our interests, our abilities, our gifts. Um, it, it's really, uh, for me, and throughout my life, it is thanks to the early intervention that I had, you know, when I was, from the moment I was diagnosed at three years old, uh, my parents, especially my mother, was able to help get me into speech therapy, um, social skills therapy, uh, and, and uh, you know, and that that truly um, is the golden ticket to live mm-hmm. to opening doors to a thriving and successful life. I mean, I was just making this comment, you know, with this coronavirus pandemic, now having been quarantined, you know, I got so much social skills therapy that I find myself like truly craving those social relationships uh, with others, you know, you know, outside of these walls, you know, just of as many walls. So, I mean, so yes, early intervention is truly what was one of the many things that helped me become the man that I am today, but went to a special needs elementary school where I was able to receive learning accommodations and understanding and knowledgeable teachers who helped teach me the way that I could understand and the way that I could solidify material and paid off so well that by the time I reached junior high, I was able to mainstream to a typical middle school, you know, give it a try, see if I was able to do it, and I was. Uh, and I mainstreamed uh, to a typical high school um, where I was met with some um, adversities of bullying and um, intimidation and isolation uh, from my peers, but uh, and really, you know, enter a time of questioning my value and my potential. And am I really making a difference just in the lives of those I come across? Mm-hmm. Or am I being a nuisance because of who I am? But thankfully, I was able to finish my high school career truly on top, leaving a lasting impression there, dare say, maybe even leave a legacy. And then I was able to uh, go on to college where I received my bachelor's degree in middle childhood education. And I am now a junior high teacher at a Catholic school here in the Diocese of Cleveland, where I love what I do and uh, feel I'm doing what I'm called to do and really have come to a point in my life where I use my autism as a way to enhance the learning and my interaction with my students, with their parents, uh, with uh, those I come in contact with, and also, in many ways, being a national speaker and a published author, um, my mother and I co-authored a book together. Um, we had a first edition uh, that uh, came out a couple years ago, right after I graduated college. Uh, but I have a second edition coming out, uh, which includes, you know, the first edition as well that is hoping to be released this summer. It's called Expect a Miracle. Uh, understanding and living with autism. And, you know, it is my hope that I can uh, continue to enlighten families, especially those 
of children or grandchildren who were just recently diagnosed with autism, you know, hopefully to provide a, a guide map to not tell them what to do, but to just share what I've been through and hopefully they can uh, go on and forge their own map. And, uh, well, mm-hmm. well, well that's, that's quite a life story because uh, I, I think as an outsider, not having an autistic uh, close acquaintance or family member where we would be working with the developmental skills of, of such a child and bringing that child into adulthood, uh, I think most people who aren't that close to autism, they they just have these very general images and impressions of what an autistic person is. First off, I I don't think people are aware that autistic children grow up to be autistic adults. Many times when we think of autism, we think of children. We think of the child sitting alone in the corner, not associating with children, rocking back and forth. And that may be the extent of what someone thinks autism is all about. But let me ask, what year did you graduate from high school? I graduated from high school in 2011. 2011? Yes. Well, that's fairly modern because I'm thinking it seemed like you had gone through a system that was quite enlightened toward recognition of autism and actually having structured programs that uh, people can be brought into to uh, basically benefit by by the latest, uh, I guess, psychological and social training that they would have. Uh, We're going to take a break in a little bit here, but I want to let everyone know this is uh, National Autism Month, the month of April 2020, and we're talking to uh, David Petrovic, who has been diagnosed uh, as being autistic uh, back uh, when he was three years old, and now he's a college-educated school teacher. And... um, uh, doing very, very well, uh, an author. And uh, real quick, we have a little bit of time before our, our break. Uh, David, you mentioned you're a national speaker. Where do you speak when you do speak nationally? Um, I I have a wide array of audiences. I may, I'm very passionate about speaking with the youth, uh, middle school and high school youth, uh, to assure just all these kids, no matter what their stories are, that they have value, that they have purpose, and that they're not alone in whatever they're going through, especially me being bullied. I want to be able to be there for them, like the teachers who were there for me. That's one of the reasons why I became the teacher when I was going through my hardship. But I also speak at autism conferences uh, to parents and uh, as a teacher, as a fellow educator, I speak with other educators about how we can be there for our students with learning differences, how we can open our minds to help them learn and to break down barriers and to help establish those connections. And just anywhere mm-hmm. I go, whoever I speak to, I want to be sure that I establish that everyone has purpose and value and that we should take the time to research differences in order to look past the physical and get to know the person. Oh, very, well, very good. We're, we're talking to David Petrovic, uh, and this is the month of autism awareness here, April 2020. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, tonight we're recognizing National Autism Awareness Month, that being April here in April 2020. And we're talking to David Petrovic. Uh, David, again, thank you for joining us. 
Yeah, but thank you for having me. Uh, if you missed our first segment with David, uh, David is a school teacher, and uh, he's, he has autism, and he's sharing with us his experiences in growing up and being diagnosed and developing with autism. He's also a national speaker. He's an author and uh, very successful, and we're talking tonight about changing the stereotyped image of what someone with autism is all about. So, again, David, I'd like to thank you, and tell us a little bit about um, the stigma of autism, especially since you went to a school system where you were being treated very well. You're getting appropriate education and socialization. Yet one thing that I picked up on that you mentioned is that you were bullied. Uh, what grades were you being bullied? And tell us a little bit about the bullying. And uh, We know that bullying is terrible. How dare they do that to you? Well, um, uh, so the bullying uh, took place from, uh, you know, junior high uh, through three-quarters of my high school career. And I want to start off by saying that, you know, what I went through, I believe would have happened anywhere at whatever school I went to because of, you know, bullying is an epidemic that happens, you know, at all schools, you know, to different kids in, in terms of different situations. Right, uh, right. And, and for me, it wasn't so much physical. It was more the social and emotional intimidation. And a lot of that comes with maturity. And uh, a lot of that comes from, again, not understanding, um, you know, what someone is dealing with or why they do what they do. And... I am very thankful uh, that, you know, with the hard, I'm actually very thankful for the bullying that I went through because that opened my eyes to, I was very thankful to have a good deal of teachers at my high school who were able to help me and be there for me and lift me up and uh, eventually get me to a place where I want to be just like them. And that's the main reason why I became a teacher, one of the main reasons, so I could be there for others like the teachers at that time were there for me. And, you know, why I I love speaking to middle school, high school youth is I want to, you know, be that voice that unfortunately I didn't have when I was their age, but I want to just, again, let them know that they're loved, that they're valued, and that whatever they're going through, that they have a purpose. And I feel like it's important for our children and also for adults as well, because just, you know, saying that, you know, bullying happens in the adult world too, you know, just in the workplace. And just, uh, again, help let, that whatever one is going through to, again, not judge based on appearances and also take the time to, you know, research. You know, if, you know, someone says autism, okay, well, what does that mean? You know, let's take the time to, like, research, see videos, Look up facts, and also would just take the time to sit down with someone and just talk to them, and to get to you'll be surprised how that person can have a tremendous impact on your life by looking past stereotypes. And Mm -hmm. I mentioned about the adult world because you mentioned about you know children with autism. Eventually, those children become adults. So what do we do? First, they grow. With the second edition of the book that I co-authored with my mother, Expect a Miracle, Understanding and Living with Autism, we have two new chapters about what I've gone through in the workforce. My first job, the interview process, being hired, you know, the ups and the downs, and ultimately, you know, what I can do going forward and the growth that I've experienced from that, you know, in terms of advocacy, um, being able to deal with, you know, spontaneous situations, 
thinking quick and coming across different people of different backgrounds, which all plays into the being able for one individual to take what I've been through and forge their own map to success and hopefully reinstill hope uh, for those with autism that whether they're going for a career or they're going for a job or whatever you know they want to do in life, volunteer positions, that they can go forward and truly achieve fulfillment and success, which is something that mm-hmm. we all deserve, we're all worthy of. Of course. Well, that, that also has a lot to do with what you can accomplish, and uh, you you accomplished quite a bit. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, you're articulate, intelligent. Are people surprised when they find out you're uh, autistic? Yes, yes. The uh, and that in itself is kind of like people. I've often got comedy. You know, I quote, "I you don't look like you have autism. I would have never known you have autism." Um, and, and so. It's it's a compliment, yes, which I take you know take very well. But again, this is also what contributed to me you know being in, in middle school and high school with my being bullied. I don't look like I have autism. I feel like oftentimes in our society, if you have a very physical, like noticeable disability, one could get more compassion. But because I look quote unquote normal, even though I'm not, everything is on the inside. People don't get why I do the things that I do, or they didn't get why the, I did the things that I did. And for me, uh, it went through a lot. I didn't, like, accept my autism until, like, junior year of high school. You know, once the bullying all stopped and I had to take a good look at myself and to say, this is how I was created and, you know, denying it and getting angry about it hasn't worked out for me well. So once I was able to accept it and I was able to recognize that everything does happen for a reason, I was able to use it to skyrocket and to not worry about what others think of me, but to just go forward, to just give it my all, and as long as I try my best, that's all I could ask for. And that's how senior year, at the conclusion of my high school career, I felt that I was able, I mean, to go from nothing to now, like, be, you know, to be a prom king nominee, graduating the top third of my class, uh, and to really um, have this, you know, group of friends and establish... um, again, kind of uh, this positive reputation for myself, it is a beautiful thing to start mm-hmm. out like as a nobody in a sense and to be misunderstood, but then to end a high school career truly feeling like I've made an impact and I've made a difference and I know that I am loved and that I'm worthy and that I have purpose, which oh, is something yeah. I hope that everyone just can experience this in this world. At well, one sure, it sounds like a, a wonderful opportunity. Uh, I can't wait to see the movie version of your life. It sounds like a very <laughs> pleasant movie. Uh, I'm still debating on who should play me. Yes, with celebrity. Yeah, well, <laughs> still working. Oh, well, you're free to. Though. You're free to pick whoever you want. Uh, yes. Talking about uh, the National uh, Autism Awareness Month, and talking about uh, one of the purposes of recognizing autism is to raise money and to uh, have that money go toward research. But what kind of research still needs to be done in autism? And you did mention that uh, autism uh, comes in a different range on a spectrum of mild to severe science, I'm sorry. Um, and, and everyone who has autism can't be as successful as you. So 
what what research needs to be done yet? What, what should we do? I feel like um, in schools uh, to definitely like uh, be able to bring in um, more equipped um, uh, individuals who can be the advocates. Uh, for uh, these children and to also teach them valuable skills and beliefs and strategies to then help them become uh, their own advocates and also, you know, successful adults. Uh, thing, um, we definitely need to um, educate, uh, which is what I'm doing as a speaker. I love to go into the schools and talk to the faculty and staff in terms of breaking down those stereotypes that may be present and also help them show that, you know, it's not, it, it, it is communication. It's all about if we can adjust our teaching methods or our teaching strategies to get onto the mm -hmm. level of the students, help us understand why the student is doing what they're doing, why they're maybe getting frustrated in class. It's, it wouldn't be a behavior, not necessarily a behavior issue, but it's that they're struggling trying to understand what you're saying and maybe it needs to be presented in a different way or maybe they need a break because of the sensory stimulation and maybe we need to do more research in terms of building a a sensory room i'm very thankful that the school i teach at just recently uh finished construction on a sensory room where students of all um especially with sensory conditions can go in there and blow off steam and really uh, just sure, environments sure. where they can be relaxed and calm and therefore excel in terms of their academics and learn in a way that because that's where the thing comes down you know again, well very good well we're, we're out of time unfortunately david uh, petrovic thank you so much for joining us tonight oh, yeah. and uh, congratulations on your achievements and your continued achievements so yeah, thank, thank you, you very so much, much. David. And for anyone um, who wants to learn more, feel free to go to www.aspergermiracle.com. Very, very good. Thank you, David Petrovic. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. And let me again wish everyone a, a happy, happy Easter. Uh, all things considered, uh, this is the time that we have been watching the uh, press conferences of all the government authorities at the county, state, and federal levels. And uh, we're staying at home. We're quarantining ourselves. We're watching the news every day and watching uh, how this virus, the uh, COVID-19 is moving through our society, uh, but there's not a big part of what's going on besides the governmental action, and that's the spiritual side of life. We've been hearing a lot about uh, how the government and religions have been um, really relating to each other with regard to churches having large meetings and having people get together uh, in, in a way that scientifically is not the wisest thing. Well, uh, tonight, in the next two segments, we're going to be talking about the religious and spiritual aspects of this Easter Sunday. And with us is uh, Father Edward Estock from uh, St. Albert the Great Parish in North Ralton, my home parish. Father Estock, thank you for joining us. It's uh, a blessing to be with you, Nick, and a, a blessed Easter to you and your family and to your listeners. Thank you so so very much. Uh, as I was mentioning, we have the virus out. This is... Uh, 
probably the most unique experience uh, every living person is having since World War II. So the people who have been experiencing World War II in their late 90s. But if you're not in your 90s, this is the first time we've experienced this type of pandemic with this kind of governmental action, this kind of death rate. Uh, from a spiritual standpoint, uh, at, at the Catholic Church level, how, how do you see this? How are you, how are you dealing with it? Well, we were, all of us were using the word unprecedented, as you might imagine, and I think everybody was using that word. And uh, they, Then, of course, they went uh, into the archives of the Diocese of Cleveland, and uh, here uh, Bishop Farley, who was the uh, uh, Bishop of the Diocese of Cleveland uh, in uh, 1918, uh, had to deal with uh, the same thing in almost exactly the same way uh, with the Spanish flu. And uh, he actually suppressed the celebration of Mass um, uh, from October 15th until the middle of November. And uh, so uh, we can't any longer say that this is unprecedented. I just had never heard of it. I had a great aunt, a great, great aunt who died in the Spanish flu. And I remember my grandmother uh, telling me that my grandfather had to go to Chicago and accompany the body home on the train. Uh, but that's all I ever knew about the uh, 1918 flu. And uh, so uh, we have been here before, uh, but certainly not in living memory. And it is uh, un. Well, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. That, that, that is so true. And with what we're experiencing uh, now that we're, we're staying home, I think it's testing all of our socialization capabilities to live with family in confined quarters <laughs> for these weeks on yeah. end. And uh, yeah. waiting for the CDC to start uh, re- reporting bad things happening with that. But I yeah. guess we're all, uh, we are. all living together. Right. I am, um, you know, it, this is a uh, much more uh, profound uh, reality than uh, a simply a religious reality. Uh, it is such a human uh, catastrophe, if you will, uh, because what I'm noticing, and maybe that's uh, some of where our conversation might go today, is that uh, uh, being uh, forbidden, if you will, to uh communicate in an interpersonal uh, and physical uh, way, uh, even with our family members, but certainly in, in our uh, church community, um, it is, uh, it's striking at what actually makes us human, you know, um, and it can be, it is for me, it's a bit disorienting, you know, I start, I can tell I'm starting to lose my, uh, uh, a sense of uh, connection to others, and, and it's pushing me, uh, uh, obviously, to use these new means of communication. Um, but uh, they don't—they do not replace, uh, you know, the the touch of the hand or the uh, the, uh, the kiss on the cheek uh, or the warm embrace, and uh, that's uh, so. It's very challenging. I, I think so too. Um, you know, we're not too far into this, actually. 
going back to February when life was normal in February and right. earlier. And um, I, I remember the the importance uh, of religion, uh, the Catholic Church, uh, all all the Christian churches, the the Jewish synagogues and Jewish religions, uh, the Islamic religion, and just religions generally play such an important facet in human life and family life. And as we're going through normal times, it's interesting that uh, we we tend to take everything for granted and things become profound during times like this. And when we don't have the religious element in our lives uh, readily available, uh, things seem even more profound. Uh, Are are you having people contact you and, and... asking for some helping hands kind of thing and the emotional yes. side of things. Yes. And, uh, you know, the uh, leaders of the Catholic Church, at least in our diocese, they are, um, you know, they're reaching out to all of us, the ministers, because uh, this, as I said, it's disorienting for us. And it might even be more serious for those of us that are day in and day out uh, in, uh, you know, just uh, imbued with and involved in these um, uh, relig- religious and sacramental uh, activities. You know, uh, you take away our sacraments, we we might be uh, perplexed as to how am I going to, uh, how am I going to relate, how am I going to uh, perform my uh, customary, you know, manner of living. So, uh, yes, we have, uh, we've been thinking about this quite a bit. I had a parishioner call me uh, last night, and uh, he works in a uh, software industry, and uh, uh, I was surprised to hear him say that uh, this uh, visual video communication uh, is, while we all think it's helpful, it is actually more taxing on us, and uh, so that uh, he and their company, they're taking a, a day off from video. And uh, and uh, so I, we were talking about, well, what is the neurology and science, science about uh, trying to relate to several people's pictures on a, a video screen? Um, and, uh, you know, you don't know where to look. You don't know uh, when someone's turning to you. Uh, so it is really, it is a strain on us. And... Um, uh, we just need to take a break from it occasionally to recuperate. I could see that happening, and we we use Zoom with uh, with family and business, and uh, it looks a lot like watching uh, uh, MSNBC or Fox News, where you have all the talking heads lined up on the page as you go through them. Exactly. But uh, but you know, as, as we're all struggling to do that, uh, I, I note that. Uh, St. Albert's in North Rome has about over 4,000 families, so that's thousands that's of right. people. And uh, life is still going on. And in religions for most lives, for people who participate in uh, religion, uh, the religion covers them from birth, baptism, all the way through uh, marriages and funerals and everything in between. Those things right. are still happening, uh, are they not? That's right. <laughs> Yes, uh, I was just speaking with the principal of our school today, Mr. Batardi, and uh, because the parents of uh, one of our students, uh, sadly and tragically, uh, a very young man, uh, died today. 
And uh, in my conversations with his wife, uh, I could not even go to the hospital to be with her. Uh, and uh, now we as a community uh, cannot even properly, one, celebrate, uh, nor communicate our empathy and our concern and our consolation to this uh, this family in, in terrible need. And so I said to Ed Vitarni, I said, you know, it's, it's almost inhuman. Uh, and so I, you know, I, I'm beginning to have empathy with uh, maybe people that live under uh, uh, oppressive regimes and uh, in other circumstances where they, um, or even the first Christians, uh, where they could not openly uh, celebrate their faith uh, and their love for one another in a religious way. And uh, it really does strike at, as I said at the beginning, our our, uh, our humanity and our core. Uh, I, I think, it, I think it does. We're, we're going to take a short break. We're, we're talking to Father Ed Estock, the pastor at St. Albert the Great Catholic Church in North Royalton, about how we're getting through this Easter. So we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. segment of the Advocate for tonight, this Easter Sunday in 2020, uh, the year that we'll all remember is the year of COVID-19, the virus that has swept uh, across the world, uh, especially hitting us close to home here in the United States and in, in Ohio. Uh, joining us tonight is Father Edward Estock, pastor of the Catholic Church in North World in St. Albert the Great, and uh, we're talking about uh, what are some of the thoughts that uh, we're thinking about here on this Easter Sunday? And uh, Father Estock, again, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here, Nick. God bless you. Thank you so much. Uh, Easter Sunday 2020, uh, during the break we were talking about how uh, everyone who's alive and will remember this 20 years from now, they're going to say, I was there when this all happened. Uh, Certainly, again, using the term profound, uh, the number of deaths that are occurring worldwide, uh, we uh, haven't witnessed in our, our generations, but uh, one of the thoughts that we're sort of leading up to during the last segment is that during normal times when we go to our church or synagogue or mosque, wherever, the, the words we hear and we've been listening to for years, uh, we take for granted. But when something like this happens suddenly, the, the words that are being spoken are so much more meaningful because they yeah. apply so well to our situation. And uh, right. with, with that happening, we're still marching our way through. Uh, yeah. the, uh, how, how is that playing out with regard to the thousands of people at St. Albert's? Uh, well, the people at St. Albert's are remarkably uh, faithful and loving people. They are... Um, responding uh, beautifully uh, and in great numbers to uh, what the limited um, ministry that we are able to perform. Uh, And most of that has been on, uh, well, regular telephone lines, some of the uh, snail mail, 
uh, email and, of course, you know, this great uh, uh, Facebook and live streaming uh, capability. Uh, and um, so you can imagine that on our side, we have had to take like a, uh, um, uh, what do they call it, crash course in um, uh, just uh, media and digital uh, communication and the parishioners along with us. I was reading um, where the uh, this uh, crisis has advanced our digital uh, capacity as a society by seven years um, because it's simply it's forced all of us uh, to this place because we're we're desperate. Uh, right. So we, uh, We've been having daily mass and uh, daily devotions uh, live streamed from church. Um, we'll get uh, anyone anywhere from 250 to a uh, thousand people uh, attending those uh, services. And many of these, you know, this is the high spiritual time of our year in Lent and now Holy Week. Um, so, uh, and we've had uh, uh, over 5,000. Uh, views of our weekend masses. Uh, now, we normally would have 3,000 people worshiping in our church on a typical uh, Sunday. Uh, so for us to have 5,000 uh, views, um, I said that about the Good Friday services yesterday. We typically would fill the church, but that's about 900 people. Uh, we had uh, over, almost uh, 2,000 people uh, view our Good Friday services uh, yesterday. There is no replacement, oh, but it is. No, it is. And I'm assuming, by the way, when you have 2,000 views, you may have more than one person watching a computer at that time. Absolutely. So probably well over and, you know, that people, number. People have been sending us pictures of them as a family sitting around the, uh, you know, the live, the flat screen TV uh, with the mask or the service uh, projected on TV. Uh, they're all concerned about us priests. You know, we're kind of like, um, well, it's it's like anybody else who does something that uh, is in the public and in front of people. Uh, we have had to uh, push our, uh, you know, not, we're just not accustomed to speaking into a, a, a camera with no one uh, around us, you know. Um, so uh, it is pushing us on both sides, and uh, it, quite frankly, it's, uh, it's bringing us together in a new way, and it is helping us to all to recognize how um, desperately we rely upon our communion with one another uh, and how uh, desperately we are longing to get back to it. So um, there's a lot of good in it, and there's a lot of hope in it, and there's a lot of newness in it, but... Um, it is certainly a strain, mm -hmm. that's for sure. It, it, it is. And um, I, I'm not sure how far along we are with the number of cases yet or, or whether or not you've had to visit uh, anyone who was actively infected with the uh, coronavirus. But uh, but if, uh, if that happens... I'm only aware of... Do, go ahead. I'm only aware of one uh, parishioner who has been diagnosed, the tested positive. And we did have... I. It was reported in the news. We did have a 12-day-old uh, infant in North Royalton uh, who uh, was diagnosed. Um, was positive. And 
Yeah, and we um, we had uh, contact with family. Uh, you know, we provided uh, some holy water and prayers and uh, and uh, some consolation and support for them. Uh, we have been also uh, distributing uh, food to the uh, needy, uh, doing it in a socially responsible way. Uh, we uh, delivered um, meals and palms to over 400 members of the uh, North Royalton community who are on our list, if you will, uh, uh, elderly and, uh, um, you know, isolated people. Um, you know, we did have a Palm uh, Sunday uh, drive-through uh, distribution of palms, and I think we probably welcomed almost uh, 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 200 people in their cars. And then this morning, we just had the uh, drive-through uh, Easter food blessing. It's a great tradition of uh, many ethnic uh, groups in the Catholic Church. And so we had, um, we had oh, my, we had at least 200 cars lined up in the parking lot, uh, and we, uh, we blessed each of their Easter baskets and, uh, and offered them a prayer uh, card and uh, sent them on their way. So... Um, we have been having uh, to be creative and reach out in various ways. Well, it's uh, a question that just came to mind as I'm picturing all this. Uh, do you have, do the priests have uh, personal protective equipment, PPEs? Yes. Uh, if they have to. Yep, we were. Yeah, you we have to have that, on. I would think. Yeah, and our rubber gloves. Uh, I think you were asking about uh, reaching out to the sick. We do have. A da- what we call danger of death, a da- uh, in danger of death. Uh, and in those cases, we are going to the sick and the dying. Um, uh, and uh, uh, I am of the age that uh, graciously our young uh, associate priest, uh, Father Joshua, has agreed to um, put on his PPE and uh and go. So he has gone and visited with uh, not a lot, but uh, the couple of our parishioners who are in the danger of death and were desiring the prayers of the church and the sacraments. Wow. Well, that, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, what all the things that are going on at St. Albert's, I'm sure to some degree, uh, are going on in, in all the other religious organizations that people might belong to. And if our listeners right. uh, need that type of support, they should turn to their their religion, their church, their synagogue, wherever, mm-hmm. and see. Be- right. Before we leave, we're running out of time. I was wondering, uh, this Easter Sunday during the COVID-19 year of 2020, whether or not you can give us maybe a final prayer for all of us. I do, and I... Uh Prepared for this, uh, the United Conference of Catholic Bishops, the organizing um, group in the United States for Roman Catholics, has published a prayer uh, of solidarity, and I thought I would end with that, um, and hoping that all of our believers uh, that are listening might uh, lend their heart uh, and their prayer uh, to these words um, on behalf of the whole world. For all who have contracted coronavirus, we pray for care and healing. For those who are particularly vulnerable, we pray for safety and protection. For all who experience fear and anxiety, we pray for peace of mind and spirit. 
or affected families who are facing difficult decisions between food on the table or public safety. We pray for policies that recognize their plight. For those who do not have adequate health insurance, we pray that no family will face financial burdens alone. For those who are afraid to access care due to uh, their particular status, we pray for recognition of God-given dignity of all. For our brothers and sisters around the world, we pray for shared solidarity. For public officials and decision makers, we pray for wisdom and guidance. Father, during this time, may your church be a sign of hope, comfort, and love to all. Grant peace, grant comfort, grant healing. Be with us, Lord. Amen. Thank you so very much, Father Estock. And uh, that, that concludes our show for tonight. Thank you all for listening, and have a safe and healthy Easter and the, uh, the rest of the year. So good night. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So until then, good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset, sat and drank my fresh mint tea, with nothing to do until morning.